You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. A couple of weeks ago, we received an email from a listener in Australia who wanted us to have more experts on to talk about the medical benefits of cannabis. And today, we're going to accommodate that request. Joining us from California is Dr. Roshna Patel, who has been practicing in the area of medical marijuana since 2012. She completed her medical studies at Toro University College of Osteopathic Medicine in California and her undergraduate studies at Northwestern University in Illinois. She has treated thousands of patients and reviewed the research on medical marijuana. Dr. Patel, it's very good of you to do this. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Now, for those listeners who may be unfamiliar, what is an osteopathic doctor? Um, osteopathic doctors are pretty much like other doctors. The main difference is, is that we learn a technique known as osteopathic manipulative medicine. Sounds kind of shady, but it's not. Basically, what you do is that it's almost similar to what chiropractors do. You learn to do adjustments on the body. Is it like muscle testing? Um, no, it's it's all. Have you been to a chiropractor before? Oh, too many times. Okay, so it's sim- it's kind of similar to what they do. Um, we use a lot of similar techniques like what's called muscle energy, uh, high velocity, uh, low amplitude readjustment. So, you know, when, when the chiropractor is literally, you know, uh, kind of cracking your bones together, that's another technique that we learn. So they're very similar techniques. So it's, you know, it basically the premise is, is that your your internal organs communicate with, you know, your, your musculoskeletal system. And when you readjust your musculoskeletal system, that gives... Um, a chance for your internal organs to to kind of go back into balance. That's the premise of it. Now, in your practice today, are you both an osteopath and a marijuana doctor? I am just a medical marijuana doctor. Okay. And what led you down that path? My background is actually in emergency medicine. And, um, you know, naively, I say naively because this is what I was told by a lot of physicians who are quite jaded. Um, but I, you know, I set out to, 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 to save lives, to impact lives, to change lives as a doctor. And while I was going through my training in emergency medicine, um, what I saw were overdoses on opioids, both intentional and unintentional. Um, I saw, I saw patients that had then um, become addicted to the very, very pain medications that they had been prescribed. So they would often come into the emergency room trying to finagle, a, you know, a, a prescription out of a, a out of us doctors to feed their addiction. Um, I also did a toxicology rotation, and the sole purpose of this rotation was to treat overdoses on on prescription medications as well as over the counter medications. So. So here I was. Um, a, a lot of this didn't didn't sit well with me. Um, it really, I was questioning, you know, what the heck am I doing? I feel like I'm just handing out prescriptions to kill. Now, at the same time, um, uh, one night, 
uh, I was browsing around on Craigslist and um, I happened on an ad that had said medical marijuana doctor needed. And that's that's sort of how it all started. That piqued my curiosity. I spent a year looking into the research and, and I found it compelling, especially for chronic pain. And after that year, what I decided to do was that I need to gain clinical experience because that's the only way to become a, a good physician is not only to have the knowledge, but then to also have the clinical experience as well. So I started working at a medical marijuana clinic out in California back in 2012. You know, your story is fascinating because it's very similar to Dr. Jordan Tischler's of Boston. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Tischler is Harvard-trained, uh, was an emergency medicine doctor for the VA for 15 years. And I asked him why he got into the <coughs> cannabis business, why he became a cannabis doctor. And he said in emergency, he found so many people coming in as a result of addictions, but nobody came in uh, being harmed by marijuana. And No, that's really interesting because, you know, the way we treat marijuana overdoses, you, uh, you turn the lights off, you uh, give them water at the bedside. Um, otherwise, if their heart is really racing, you, you uh, give IV fluids. But that's pretty much about it. But if there's another substance overdose that's coming in, like opioids or alcohol, um, you pull out the resuscitation cart. Yeah, it's fascinating that uh, both of you were on the same path and, and mm-hmm. got into it for similar reasons. Yeah, as you were yeah. talk, as you were talking, I thought, boy, this sounds familiar. This is, <laughs> you know, just that whole frustration of of all these people coming in with issues with op- opioids. You know, either overdosing or, like you said, trying to feed their habit. Yeah, definitely. Now, when people come in to see you, what are some of the common illnesses and ailments they have? So the most common conditions that I treat are chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. Now, take us through the chronic pain one. How do you deal with that? Uh, Sure. So there's a wide variety. I mean, that's a pretty broad umbrella. Um, Within that umbrella, the uh, the more common conditions that I treat, a lot of back pain, especially back pain due to uh, degenerative disc disease, due to herniated discs. Um, There's a lot of uh, uh, neuropathic pain, so basically nerve-related pain. There's also um, fibromyalgia. There are also skeletal conditions such as arthritis that I end up treating. Um, so, So a wide variety of conditions, but those are the more common ones that I end up treating. So, Dr. Patel, I come into you and I tell you I've got uh, back pain, degenerative disc disease. How do you how do you prescribe cannabis to me if that was the case? Sure. So, basically, it, the, the visit is just like visiting any other doctor, right? So, I am I am sitting down with the patient. I'm going through their medical history, their surgical history, their prescription history. We're we're talking about what what worked, what didn't work. Um, and what, what their concerns are about the treatment options that they have approached. Then I go into um, uh, what experience they've had with, with medical marijuana or just marijuana in general. Um, and because a lot of patients will come in having already have used marijuana and reporting back to me that, hey, this is working a lot better than my prescription medications. I just want to know how to use it appropriately without getting, getting side effects from it. 
So that's where I come in. That's where I'm walking patients through step-by-step, you know, what the best combination of cannabinoids are, um, uh, how much to use, what the best method of delivery is for their specific medical condition, um, uh, how often to use it, what the side effects of, of medical marijuana are, how to avoid the side effects, and what to do in case they do get side effects. So that's that's sort of the, the basics of how I'm practicing. When side effects, you're talking about the psychoactive effect of THC? Yeah, a wide variety of side effects that you can get from, from marijuana. A psychoactive effect is one right? Mm -hmm. But you can also get physiological effects from it, too. You can get experienced dizziness. Your heart can race from it. Uh, So, so you know, there's there's physiological effects, side effects as well. You don't prescribe, uh, well, you you prescribe, but you don't supply the cannabis to the patient, do you? I can't. And I believe there's, this is a federal law that's in place, and that it basically states that a physician cannot aid or abet a patient in obtaining marijuana. Okay. When you've treated patients, tell me some of the success stories that you've had. Okay, sure. So, so one, when it comes to pain, one is, is that it reduces pain, right? But when I first started out, I expected that marijuana would be one tool in an, in a whole arsenal of, of tools to treat chronic pain. But instead, what I found was that using medical marijuana was allowing patients to come off of their prescription medications. And that falls into a couple categories. Um, either patients are completely able to eliminate their pain management medications or they do need to continue to take their pain management medications, but they're able to take lower doses of these medications or they're able to take fewer of the medications as well. And then in rare cases, patients continue to take the same same dosages, the same number of prescription medications with the marijuana, but it's, but it's having a better effect in helping to reduce their pain. Um, it, you know, and you can imagine when you reduce pain, it helps to improve the quality of a patient's life too. It goes beyond my, uh, just reducing pain. You know, I have patients telling me stories like, you know, they're able to now carry their grandchildren. You know, the, the benefits of that are, are priceless, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, when it comes to anxiety, a uh, couple things. One is that a um, couple situations, right? So I have patients that get panic attacks. During these panic attacks, these patients aren't able to function. Um, and so the, where the medical marijuana helps is that it helps to reduce the frequency of the panic attacks. It helps to reduce the duration of the panic attacks, helps to reduce the severity of the panic attacks as well. Um, the other thing is, is that a lot of, a lot of patients, um, get, tend to get anxious in, in social settings. So that's another situation in which the medical marijuana helps. They, they, you know, they feel more comfortable. Um, and so it's easier for them to, for, for instance, give presentations at work. Um, when it comes to sleep, uh, the results that I've seen, patients are able to fall asleep easily. They're able to stay asleep. Now, the interesting thing is, is that if they happen to wake up, they're able to fall back asleep easily as well. And the most important thing is that patients wake up feeling refreshed. What happens when patients take over-the-counter medications or prescription medications for insomnia is that a lot of times they'll complain that, oh, you know, these medications make me feel hungover in the morning or I feel really, really groggy in the morning. That's not the case with medical marijuana. 
I've got a story for you. My co-host <clears throat> here, Corey Yelland, five years ago was diagnosed with anal canal cancer, refused radiation. Doctor said she'd have, uh, what, three to five? Two months. to four months, six on the outside. Two to four months, six on the outside to live. Uh, she started taking cannabis oil. Uh, a year later was cleared, and that was five years ago. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, so but here's the thing with with cancer and and medical marijuana. I don't like to make the claim that it cures cancer. Um mainly because uh, the research that we have, you know, there's anecdotes out there definitely, certainly, but in terms of the research, the research has been done in, in, in test tubes and in petri dishes and in animal models. So it's hard to translate over to humans. And and the last thing as a physician that I want to see is that is that say we have a lot of treatments out there for certain types of cancer that that um, that are very good in in helping to treat the cancers. So if a patient takes the risk of using medical marijuana and not using the cancer treatment, I personally, as a physician, think it's it's a big risk to take on the part of the patient, um, and that risk is is that is that it could cost you your life. What the marijuana is a big risk? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. So using marijuana, um, uh, kind of setting your hopes of marijuana curing your cancer versus using uh, conventional treatment to, to to treat your cancer. Okay, because it, there we don't have any 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 we we can't say with certainty that that marijuana cures cancer at this point. But we can say with certainty that conventional treatment does either. Can we? No, but, you know, we have more information in terms of data on that, in terms of um, what's the probability of it actually treating the cancer versus not. We don't even have that information in humans when it comes to, uh, when it comes to medical marijuana and cancer. But, you know, there was a study that was done about 10 years ago that showed that mm-hmm. the success rate of chemotherapy patients in Australia and the United States was 3%. I mean, I would take an unknown number for the success of cannabis over 3%. Wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't. I, I think it's just too, it's, it's, it's too big a risk to take. It could cost you your life. Um, you know, when it comes to treating things like pain, insomnia, anxiety, you're, you're not taking – you have to – so as a physician, one of the most important things that, that we do is that we weigh risks – and benefits of treatments, okay? So when it comes to anxiety, when it comes to insomnia, when it comes to chronic pain, there's there's a greater risk in taking opioids versus medical marijuana, okay? But when it comes to the ultimate final, what, what is basically, you know, when, when someone has cancer, what is their ultimate goal? It's to treat the cancer, right? To So that it can um, uh, lengthen their lifespan further. Um, that isn't necessarily a guarantee. It's, I'm not saying it's a guarantee with conventional medicine, but we certainly have more data. Whereas with marijuana, it's, it's a big question mark. All we have at this point is anecdotal evidence and anecdotal evidence can be murky. There's a lot of other information there that we're not getting. Um, because what happens is that when people are treating cancers, they're sort of throwing, you know, the, the, uh, Every, you know everything at it, everything that in in the kitchen sink at it. So we don't really know what it is that's actually um, uh, helping the the cancer. 
you know, could it be the, the marijuana? It certainly could be, but we don't know for certain at this point. Yeah, but that works the same for chemotherapy and radiation. We don't know whether that works or the medical marijuana works. We have talked to dozens and dozens of people who have had cancer, who have foregone conventional treatment, have taken cannabis oil, and have cleared themselves from cancer. And so the medical profession calls that anecdotal information. Yeah. And they want studies. Yeah. Yet we have had studies after study that show that chemotherapy and radiation are at best ineffective. Yet that is the treatment of choice. Right, but we don't. Okay, so so I don't want to argue with you here. Oh, you no, have I, a very I, strong opinion I, about I, what, I, what, you're, what you what you uh, believe in, and I do. I, as a physician, um, have to be very cautious with what I say. Okay, and and so making certain claims, I I just. I am looking at it from the best interest of my patients as a whole. Um, I don't like to set my patients up with false hope, especially cancer patients, because I feel like, you know, making unqualified claims is essentially taking advantage of a, of a person's uh, unfortunate circumstances, which I don't do. I like to portray a very realistic perspective of what you can expect from a treatment. At this point, I don't, when a, when a cancer patient comes to me and asks me, what can I expect from medical marijuana when it comes to treating my cancer? I don't know. I don't have an answer. No, and that's fair enough. And I, right. uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I realize you're, yeah. you're in an awkward situation, and I don't want to uh, get into an argument no, with you. No, of course. But, yeah, of but course. But I, I, would, I would much rather get into an argument with an allopathic physician than I would with, <laughs> <laughs> because I think allopathic medicine is based on the premise that drugs resolve anything, uh, almost everything, and all drugs do is simply uh, ameliorate the symptoms. Drugs aren't going to help people uh, to any great degree. Marijuana has never killed anyone, as far as I know. Do you know of anyone who's ever died from marijuana? No, it's difficult to, to, to die from an overdose on marijuana. It's nearly impossible yeah. because um, there are no receptors for cannabinoids in the brainstem, and the brainstem is what controls our breathing. Uh, so if we take too many drugs, what does that do to the brainstem? So for it depends. It depends on the type of drug, right? So let's, okay. for instance, talk about opioids. Right. Opioids, um, which are very commonly prescribed, there are receptors for, uh, for opioids in the brainstem. If you take too many, it can stop your breathing, and that's how you ultimately die from these medications. Same with benzodiazepines. These are medications such as Xanax, Valium, Ativan, very commonly prescribed for conditions like anxiety. Sometimes they're even very, I think almost, uh, uh, doctors are very lax in prescribing it for, for difficulty sleeping. Um, and again, if you take too much of these medications, it can stop your breathing. And and so that's the risk in taking these medications. Whereas the risk with marijuana is that it, the the fatal risk doesn't uh, is is almost not there because uh, of basic biology. Dr. Patel, what's required to become a medical cannabis physician and does it vary from state to state or 
It does. It does vary from state to state. Um, in the state of California, you basically just have to be a licensed physician. There are no additional requirements. Now, I know in other states, there is an education program that you have to complete in order to um, to be certified as a medical marijuana doctor. I believe Florida is one of those states and New York may be one of those states as well. Dr. Patel, do you treat children? I do. I do treat children. What what are some Um, of the problems that they have? Sure. So um, autism is one condition. Epilepsy is another. Um, Another condition um, that that of which I treat a lot of adolescents are um, ADHD, uh, ADD as well. So and I've I've actually seen pretty good results with with those conditions. With ADHD and ADD, what you know, if I came in with a a child with that, what I obviously you'd ask some, you know, questions and, and prior history. But generally what would your suggestion be as far as treating that particular um thing with cannabis? Well, typically patients benefit more from higher higher CBD. Uh, products than higher THC products when it comes to those conditions. So, would you have them on a low amount of THC or strictly CBD if you, if if that was uh, a possibility? You know, it's difficult to find at, at least here at dispensaries. Every plant makes makes some amount of THC, makes yes. some amount of CBD. Even products that are derived from hemp, hemp. Um, by definition, has less than 0.3% THC in it. So it has some amount of THC, although negligible, but um, everything is going to have some amount of THC in it. When it comes to the dispensaries here, most of the products have, uh, it's not derived from hemp, it's derived from marijuana. So it will have some amount of THC, but I, I work with my patients to keep it to a minimum. What about with panic attacks? You know, um, particularly with sativa, I know that that can bring on panic attacks. And back in the day when I was in my early 20s, so 10 years or so ago, (laughs) um, when I occasionally smoked cannabis, I would get really, really paranoid. Uh, So that was actually why I quit smoking cannabis back in the day. So if somebody comes into your office and their issue is panic attacks and anxiety, what would you say to them? So tip with anxiety, the thing that's that's causing the panic attacks, um, or I'm sorry, causing the paranoia, making the anxiety worse, when it comes to marijuana, it's the THC that's doing it. Yes. Um, and a lot of people, when it comes to, to, to dosing, they tend to overdo it. And and that's essentially what's what's causing that paranoia, what's causing that anxiety. So it's not only just the fact that you're using the THC, but you're using excessive amounts of it. And, and that's what's doing it. So typically, I recommend higher amounts of CBD. Okay, yeah, that was my question, or what I meant to ask was, you know, so if somebody comes into you with a, with who's experiencing panic attacks, and, uh, you know, from the little knowledge I have, I know that um, cannabis can certainly bring on anxiety. Would you lean more towards suggesting CBD to them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would. Okay, yeah. thank you. Dr. Patel, do you get involved with various strains and things like that? So, okay, so here's the thing with strains. I actually was recently reading a study on this, and I knew this just from pra- from, from knowing practically, but there was a study done that looked at a bunch of different strains, right? And, and what they noted was that uh, the, the strain could have the same name 
and have different amounts of THC and CBD, okay? So so you've probably heard of strains that are called like Trainwreck Purple, Granddaddy, Granddaddy Purple, and, and Sour Diesel, etc. Um, these strains are named arbitrarily. There isn't really any sort of protocol to it. There isn't really any standardization to it. So ultimately, what's important when it, when it comes to a patient that's looking to use marijuana medically is a laboratory testing. You really need to, to, to go by laboratory testing. That's a more accurate way to purchase a product. It is a plant after all, and if you grow tomatoes in California and you grow tomatoes here in British Columbia, yours may taste different than ours. But it's the same yeah. plant, right? Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. When it comes to chemical combinations, there's two components to it. One is a genetic predisposition of the plant, and second is in the environment in which it's grown. Mm-hmm. That can uh, ultimately, Im- a combination of those two will impact the combination of chemicals that the plant produces. It's just like humans, right? We have a genetic predisposition, and you put us in a certain environment, and we'll, we'll behave a certain way. Do you ever have some big guy come in and say, I've taken marijuana, I smoke marijuana a lot, and then uh, he realizes that if he takes uh, a little too much cannabis oil, for example, that uh, it's hit him uh, and uh, it's had an effect that he didn't realize? Um, I'm not sure I understand your question. Okay, what I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that some people feel as though uh, it's a one-size-fits-all, but... We all have a different endocannabinoid system, and we react differently to various levels of THC and CBD. And uh, someone can be six foot six and take very little THC and get high from it. Someone can be five foot six and take much more, and it doesn't affect them. Yeah. So there's actually a genetic component to this as well. So first of all, it's not one size fits all, right? It's going to vary in a lot of things. It's going to vary on how you're processing these chemicals in your liver, how you metabolize fats because it's a fat-soluble substance. And actually, there's been research that's shown that we have – um, some people have certain genetics that allow them to to process the THC and CBD much quicker, and then some people have genetics that, that cause them to process the THC and CBD much slower. So there is a genetic component to it as well. When you started getting into this marijuana business, what were some of your initial thoughts of the business itself? What was it? What was it like for you? I mean, you you were traditionally trained. As yeah, an- and yeah. I mean, the other thing is, is that I come from a traditional Indian family too, um, and I followed very much the path that any firstborn child in an Indian family follows, which is I became a doctor. You know, and I and I went, <laughs> I went to a prestigious school, undergrad. I went on to medical school, um, and so so it was definitely you know there was just this. Um, I was compelled by the information, and I was so disillusioned by by what I was doing, which was like, you know, what the heck am I doing, really? I'm, I'm, I'm really, here's the thing. I'm very attached to my purpose in medicine. And the reason is, is that I grew up in an underserved community, a community of basically blue-collar immigrants. And I consider myself lucky because the the I remember in school. Now, the thing is, is that my parents put us in a, in a private school, uh, and they worked hard to, to be able to afford private school because it was, 
it wasn't safe to go to the public schools in the city in which I grew up in. And even then, I had classmates where, you know, they had they had parents that were uh, dealing with with drug addictions. They had I mean, uh, crime was was, you know, everybody was impacted by crime. And and what happened was that when I turned 12 years old, we moved into a affluent suburb in New Jersey. And the main draw for my parents was that they wanted my brother and I to have access to, to the best education. Um, and so for that, I am grateful because here, here I was in a community, the odds were against me. Um, but I, I mean, how fortunate am I to still be able to have access to to you know, this is like the the number one high school in New Jersey. It still is, um, and so one of the things that I got out of that experience was that you know, I, I'm lucky, and what can I do to give back with this experience? So so since then, it's been a goal of mine that with whatever it is that I do, I want to be able to change people's lives, to impact people's lives. So I was, you can, as you can imagine, I was very disillusioned when I was going through training and I was like, like, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm not really making a change in people's lives, but with what I'm doing now, I see the difference and it's tremendous. That's a wonderful story. Dr. Patel, what do you say to people when they come in and they're seeking your help, but they say to you, well, I, but I don't want to get high. Yeah. And so basically I tell them that I'll walk you through how to use the marijuana so that you don't experience the side effects. Here's a fundamental concept that, that I think everybody should understand. And it applies to all medications. Every medication has a dosing range. There's a subtherapeutic range, there's a therapeutic range, and there's a toxic range. Okay. So in the subtherapeutic range, obviously you're not taking enough for it to have any sort of effect on you. You're getting no medical benefit from it, let alone side effects. In the toxic range, you're taking so much that you're now experiencing side effects from it. You really, you know, all patients, you, you want to stay within that therapeutic range where you're, you're, you're experiencing the medical benefits, but you're not experiencing the side effects of it. And that's what I, what I teach my patients to do, how to stay within that therapeutic range. And, and quite frankly, you know, marijuana is, it's, it's, it's been a drug of abuse and it's been used that way. And I think, um, by not knowing how to use the medication, people have a tendency to overdo it. Um, let's take edibles, for instance. So what, what do a lot of patients do? They see a cookie, they will eat the whole cookie. And then all of a sudden, a couple hours later, they're experiencing all sorts of, you know, hallucinations. They're, they're getting, they're feeling agitated. Um, uh, and that's because they're now in that toxic range of dosing. So, so that's what I'm focused on in my uh, consultations with patients. No, that's very good advice. Dr. Patel, do you consult uh, with patients out of state? Not yet. So here's a project that I'm working on because I found that there's a need for it. I am creating protocols by medical condition on how to step-by-step use the medical marijuana um, so that patients aren't getting high off of it, they, you know, they're, they're they're not getting addicted to it. They don't have to smoke it. I'm presenting all the the you know the best delivery options for this condition, how how to how to dose for this condition. So that's the project I'm working on. Um, in the next couple of months, I'll be I'll be rolling it out, but I'll still make myself available. Um, what I'm working on is also making myself available. I don't like to. 
uh, serving my patients with with excellence is important to me, and a big component of that is seeing patients in person. I think it's just a, just a different experience. The communication is also a lot better, but because I've seen that there's a need for for this information all over, I'll be putting out the protocols and then also making be making myself accessible through through video chat. That's great. We should uh, we should follow up with an interview at that time once you roll that out, and I promise. I will not ask you about chemo or radiation. <laughs> that's just uh, it's just a warning. I won't do it. <laughs> you know, I would I would love to see the federal government change the classification of of marijuana so that we can have just just a lot more research, a lot more objective information um on this so maybe maybe once we have that information then i can make one day make the claim that yeah marijuana cures cancer but we, we start to <laughs> that in place first <laughs> no, i totally totally agree with you want to give us your website address so people can go on your website sure so i'll give my website address and other ways that people can reach me as well okay. so my website address is dr com. so it's dr and then my first name, which is R-A-C-H-N-A, my last name, which is P-A-T-E-L, and then .com. That's my website. But um, uh, you can also, uh, I encourage your listeners, if they have questions for me, they can post them on my YouTube channel in the comments section. They can also post them on my um, Facebook page in the comment section. And what I do is about once every one to two weeks, I'm putting out videos answering a lot of the commonly asked questions that people have. Um, and, and, and I'm trying to be uh, a, a credible source of information by, you know, whatever I say, I, I always research what I say so that there's a, a an objective foundation for what I'm saying. Oh, that's great. I'm sure your parents are proud of you, too. We're getting there. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard my mom say the word marijuana yet. Okay. So. <laughs> it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dr. Patel. And that's another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.